children may just be uh, dismissed to junior church, so you can find your way out to junior church at this point. And I invite you all to turn to Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5. In a couple moments, we're going to pick up at verse 12 in a couple moments. But I just want to commend and thank Steve for what he shared about knowing that God is real. God is there. God does love you. God does care about you. And something to remember when we do lose all hope is God is still present and God still cares. That's a beautiful song, by the way, how deep the Father's love for us. I don't know if you know, but you can go to a free app on any smartphone. It's called Pandora. Pandora. It's free unless you don't want commercials. Then you got to pay a couple dollars a month, which I don't do. But you can pick uh, on Pandora, search for any type of genre. So like sometimes I've used Polar Express Radio, which shows like Polar Express Christmas songs or Charlie Brown Christmas. That's always fun, even in August. But my usual genre, besides Disney songs, is um, the Keith and Kristen Getty channel. Keith Getty wrote in Christ Alone and some other songs that we've used before. And it'll play how deep the Father's love for us on that channel because it picks anything of that genre of worship music, that, that genre of deep theological reflection meditative, contemplative worship music. And I hope as we sing these, you know, you uh, focus on the words that you're singing to the Lord and, and, um, and just let the Lord wash over you. His grace, his mercy wash over you. Um, I want to share at the beginning, last Sunday during the sermon, I was a little distracted off and on because I kept hearing somebody rip paper in the front right side. And Steve told me on Tuesday it wasn't him. And it was the microphone having some sort of interference. So we spent some time trying to figure out what was going on. And today I'm using the guitar microphone. So we'll see if that works a little better. I did a test on Wednesday night, an actual online test on Thursday morning. And we'll see... um, I'll never forget in 2006, a retired pastor tell me that demons live in church electronics. So, and I have noticed that time and time again, as you heard me make the joke, that sometimes you have to perform an exorcism on the church electronics, but my exorcism gifts are not always good on, on electronics. So hopefully there's nothing, no problems. If, if, for those watching virtually, we did do a virtual test, but, and hopefully you can hear okay, though. Um, you know, there are different cult passages in scripture. And some of these difficult passages, we have to take apart verse by verse and really look at them and do cross-reference in what's called inductive Bible study or exegesis, exegete the passage. That means proper interpretation. And Romans chapter 5, actually we could even lump the whole book of Romans in there sometimes, as well as Hebrews. And I hope as we get into this sermon, um, we get into this sermon that we can help Take apart this passage. I heard of a pastor who would uh, pray before the sermon, and his his son, his little his son, who was five, six, seven years old, would see him praying, his head down. He's praying before the sermon, and and um, his son asked him later on, "Daddy, what are you doing with your head down before the sermon?" And he said, "Well, I, I'm praying." And the boy says, "What are you praying for?" And he says. I am praying that the Lord helps me as I deliver God's word to God's people. And the son went on to say, but why doesn't he help you then? And uh, so, you know, uh, we need the Lord's help as we look at the passage. We need um, the Lord's instruction. J.R.L. Tolkien, everybody know who J.R.L. Tolkien was? 
Gerald Tolkien wrote The Lord of the Rings, as well as The Hobbit, as well as various other works. Any of you read The Lord of the Rings? Show of hands. Involvement. Anybody uh, read The Hobbit? Show of hands. Anybody see the movies, The Hobbit, The Lord of the Rings? Okay. Gerald Tolkien was also part of The Inklings. Anybody hear of The Inklings? The Inklings. There we go. Brian knows of the Inklings. A few of you know the Inklings. Elaine knows of the Inklings. I, I found out a few years ago through Janet Parshall on Moody Radio, they were called the Inklings because they dabbled in ink. They dabbled in ink. They were a group of people. C.S. Lewis, Gerald Tolkien. C.S. Lewis's brother was part of them. I believe a, a female professor or writer was part of them. And they would meet at a pub and they talked about their works that they were writing about. And I don't know what else they talked about. Um, maybe World War I because C.S. Lewis and Tolkien were both in World War I. But out of these conversations at the pub came great works of literature. And if you ever turn in a paper or a letter or a memo or something for review and your boss, your employer, your teacher, your professor, your, your pastor tears it apart and says, oh, no, red ink, this is wrongly worded, this is poor sentence structure, comma here, comma there, comma everywhere, don't feel bad. Because J.R.L. Tolkien would turn in the manuscripts for the Lord of the Rings and these other works and the inklings just tore them apart. The inklings just picked them apart. But he reviewed them, they reviewed them. He rewrote them, they helped him. And out of that came great works of literature, as well as uh, C.S. Lewis, Lewis's works, The Chronicles of Narnia and other works. Great works of literature came out of this group. Well, J.R. Tolkien, author of The Lord of the Rings, coined the term eucatastrophe, eucatastrophe, you catastrophe, which means good catastrophe. Good catastrophe. A you catastrophe is a good catastrophe. When it looks like a hero is doomed, but then the plot turns. That is a you catastrophe. The death of Jesus certainly qualifies as a you catastrophe, right? The death of Jesus certainly qualifies as a you catastrophe. It looks like the hero, it looks like Jesus is doomed. But then he's resurrected from the grave. In two weeks, we will celebrate Resurrection Sunday. I like the term Resurrection Sunday rather than Easter. Resurrection Sunday. And imagine what it was like for the first readers of the gospel according to Luke. Imagine what it was like for the first readers of Matthew's gospel, John's gospel, of Mark's gospel. Especially, and they might have been the first listeners because uh, only 5%, maybe 15% on the high side of the people were literate back then. So Luke would write his gospel, careful research, write his gospel. He would send it to a church and it would arrive at that church. And they would all gather and they would have a reader. They would listen attentively as they read Luke's gospel, all in one sitting. And as they listened, they hear about Jesus and all of his teachings, his virgin birth, the miracle of his birth in Luke chapter 2, the miracle of John the baptizer's birth in Luke chapter 1, and everything else about Jesus. And then you get to, I want to say Luke chapter 23, and he's crucified. Catastrophe. But then you get to Luke 24, and up from the grave he arose, he's resurrected. You catastrophe. The plot turns. Same thing with the readers of Mark's gospel. They all would gather, and they would listen, they would read. And you get to Mark 15, and he's crucified, but you get to Mark 16, and he's resurrected. 
the readers, the listeners of Matthew's gospel, you get to Matthew 17, uh, Matthew 27, and he's crucified. Matthew 28, he's resurrected. The readers, the listeners of John's gospel, you get to John 19, he's crucified. You get to John 20 and 21, and he's resurrected. You catastrophe. Jesus' crucifixion was the most evil event in history, but it secured, it secured the redemption of those who believe in Jesus' substitutionary atonement for their salvation. Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection secured the redemption of all those who believe in Jesus' substitutionary atonement. That means he substituted himself in our place. He took our place on the cross. He took the wrath of God in your place, my place, the world's place. He took your hell upon himself. He substituted himself on the cross. Christ's sacrifice made it possible for us and all of humanity to start over. And that is why Paul depicted him as the new Adam. And that's what we are going to look at today. Paul depicts Jesus as the new Adam. In Adam, all became sinners. In Jesus, all may be made righteous. My theme today is that we have hope in Christ's triumph over Adam's sin. We have hope in Christ's triumph over Adam's sin. And the application is to serve Christ out of love for him. Serve Christ out of love for him. Worship him for his free gift. So I want to take the passage apart piece by piece. We're going to start with verse 12. Verse 12 gives a nice summary of the passage, a nice summary. So if you've got your Bibles open or maybe you're reading it on the manuscript that you picked up or on your, on your phones or tablets, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin... And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Therefore, this is an inference based off of the previous material. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. If you notice in your Bibles, there is a dash at the end of verse 12. That dash is there because it is not picked up again until verses 18 through 19. Verses 13 through 17 are like a parenthesis. A parenthesis. And and then in verses 18 and 19 and 20 and 21, the Apostle Paul, inspired by God, will pick up on this theme and he'll close it out. As we get to this passage, we are picking up from the previous section. Notice that verse 12 begins with a therefore, and this means that that we are making an inference based off of the previous material. In verses 1 through 11, it's all about reconciliation with God. Verses 1 through 11 are all about peace with God. Remember, we can have peace with God because of the reconciliation of God. We can have peace with God because Jesus justified us. To be justified means to be declared righteous. We can have peace with God because when Jesus took our place on the cross, we are not just forgiven of our sins. We are declared righteous. We are justified in God's sight. I I spent a lot of time on that in the last two weeks. We are reconciled with God. We are no longer enemies with God. We are declared friends of God. Hebrews says we can come boldly to the throne of grace. And that is so, so, so very powerful. So now Paul is building on this idea. Look at verse 12 again. Sin came into the world through one man. Who was that? Adam. Thank you. Sin came into the world through Adam. Death came into the world through sin. 
Sin came into the world through Adam. Death came into the world through Adam. In Genesis 3, when sin came into the world, they did not die right away, did they? But they all died eventually. In fact, they did die spiritually right away. Sin came into the world. They sinned. They died spiritually right away. There was a spiritual death. And in Jesus... Eventually, death will be abolished. All that's got to be taken care of. That's in the restoration. That's in Revelation 21 and 22. But for now, in Jesus, we can't be made alive spiritually. The moment we commit to Jesus as Lord and Savior, we are redeemed. We are made alive spiritually right away. We are reconciled with God right away. We are at peace with God right away. They died spiritually right away. They died physically later on. In fact, if you look at Genesis chapters 5 and following, when you see the genealogies, there is always an emphasis on the phrase, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. They lived this long and they died. And it's like Moses, the inspired writer of Genesis, is emphasizing death is a consequence of the fall. Death is a consequence of the fall. Death spread to all men. Why? This is because we all have sinned. You can see Romans chapter 3, verse 23, and Romans chapter 6, verse 23. In these verses, death is both physical and spiritual. Death in the Bible is always thought of as unnatural. Death is unnatural. Death is not just a natural part of living. Death is a consequence of sin. Death is a consequence of the depravity of humanity. Death is a consequence of the fall. And what we see here in this passage in Romans chapter 5, verse 12 and following, is that we were all, all of humanity existed in the loins of Adam and have through procreation inherited his fallenness and depravity. Okay, All of humanity, Adam and Eve were the first of creation, so all of humanity existed in the loins of Adam. And so through procreation, all of humanity inherited his fallenness. In verses 13 through 17, we see the history of the sin of Adam leading to the justification from Christ. We see the history of the sin of Adam leading up to the justification from Christ. Again, I know this is a tricky passage, so I'm going to try to take it apart. Make sure you are, you know, paying attention as much as you can because I know it's a tricky passage. So we're going to read verses 13 through 17, and we're going to see the history of the sin of Adam leading up to the justification from Christ. Who can remind me what to be justified means? Free from guilt and blame, right? Made righteous, yeah. Declared righteous, which makes us free from guilt and blame. So we're going to see the history of the sin of Adam leading up to justification. In other words, leading up to us being totally declared righteous. We inherit Jesus' righteousness. We had inherited Adam's fallenness. But now in Christ, we inherit Jesus' righteousness. Let's read these verses. Verses 13 through 17. For sin... Indeed, was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Now, what law is he talking about right here? The Ten Commandments, the Law of Moses, the Torah, the Mosaic Law, Exodus chapters 20 and following. For sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. We're going to talk about that. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. Even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. 
the free gift. Notice, as we go through this, notice the repetition of free gift, free gift, free gift. Is there something like four times? That's the free gift of Jesus. But the free gift is not like the trespass, the trespass of Adam. For if many died through one man's trespass, many died through Adam's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. The judgment following one trespass, as Adam's, brought condemnation. But, but the free gift following many trespasses, the free gift of Jesus following many trespasses, all of our trespasses, brought justification. For, for if, because of the one man's trespass, as Adam, death reigned through that one man, much more... Will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? There's a lot there. And what we need to understand is that Paul is making a how much more argument. A how much more argument. If from the one man's trespass, Adam's trespass, death reigned and the consequence of death, the fall reigned. How much more through Jesus' death on the cross, justifying us, declare us righteous. How much more is the grace of God abounding? Let's take this apart for a few minutes. Verse 13 is interesting. Does it mean that they were not held, um, does it mean that they were not accountable for sin before the law? No, not at all. It means there was no culpability for sin. They were under God's moral law, God's common grace. But with the law, with the Ten Commandments, with, you know, Exodus chapters 20 and following, we have the written law, the written law at that point. What law is he talking about? I already described that. He's talking about the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, and everything from Exodus through Deuteronomy. Basically, before the law, there was the moral law. This would be God's law. There was still the general revelation of right and wrong, which God gives to us all. You hear that? This is important. There was a general revelation of right and wrong, which God gives to us all. They were still held accountable based off of God's moral law. They were not yet held accountable based off of the Ten Commandments and the whole Torah. But they were held accountable based off of God's moral law. Let me give you an illustration. We all have conviction of right and wrong. God has placed that on our hearts. Even if we, bless you, even if we cannot cite chapter and verse, we have a conviction of right and wrong. A child has that conviction of right and wrong. That is God's common grace, God's moral law. A lot of times we're trying to ignore the Holy Spirit. We're trying to ignore those convictions, even for the non-Christian. Even for the non-Christian, there is a certain element of conviction, of God's common grace, of God's moral law, of right and wrong. That's why they're trying to resist it so much. That's why, that's why they're trying to glory in sin to get the government to condone it. Because they think if the government condones a certain type of behavior as okay. Polyamory. Multiple relationships. Not just a husband and a wife, but bringing in other people in that relationship. They think that if the government uh, condones that as okay, they're going to feel better. They won't feel better. Because God's moral law, God's common grace is already upon them, saying, this is not okay, this is not right. And that's what they had before the law. In fact, somebody asked me after Sunday school today, 
about this type of idea. You know, in Genesis chapter 4, they made a sacrifice. Cain and Abel made a sacrifice. Why did they make sacrifices? But they made sacrifices before the law of Moses. Abraham made sacrifices with Melchizedek. Why did they do that? How did they know to do that? I think it was because God's law was written on their hearts. It's also quite possible that God communicated this stuff verbally to Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve passed this stuff down as oral tradition to all their descendants. And eventually it got warped and and corrupted through demonic influence. And then with the law of Moses, God was correcting things. God's moral law was still given before the law of Moses. They still had a conviction. They still had the law of God. We could call it the law of God. Verse 14 helps us interpret verse 13. Verse 14 helps us interpret verse 13. Verse 14 says, Yet death reigned. Death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So in verse 14, we see that there was still death, which means that there was still sin, right? Death is a consequence of sin. Uh, Death reigned from Adam through Moses. But Moses brought about the Ten Commandments and the law, yet before Moses, they were still dead spiritually and they died physically. In Romans chapter 2, verse 12, Romans chapter 2, verse 12, Paul had said that those without the written law are still judged by God. In Genesis chapter 6 through 9, we have the flood narrative, right? There was God's judgment on the world in the flood because of sin. In Genesis chapter 11, verse 19, people face judgment at the Tower of Babel. Verse 14 continues to show that death reigned even over those who did not sin like Adam sinned. They all sinned. They all sinned, but Adam was the head of the human race and the first one to cross God's divine commandment. Further, verse 14 shows that Adam was a type. In other words, he was a foreshadowing of the one that is Jesus who is to come. All right, in the Old Testament, you have prophecies of Jesus, and they were fulfilled in Jesus, over 300. In the Old Testament, you also have uh, things called a typology, a type. And in the Old Testament, when you have a type, that's a foreshadowing of, of, of something else that's to come. Sometimes types are very clear, sometimes not so clear. But this passage is saying specifically that Adam was a type. He was a foreshadowing of the one who was to come. Adam was a type. Meaning in Adam, we all sinned. We all became sinners. In Adam, we all, we all faced death. But in Jesus, he was a foreshadowing of Jesus who will redeem the human race and make us all live again. In verse 15, Paul continues to build on the free gift, on the free gift of righteousness. Verse 15 shows that the condemnation through Adam versus the redemption in Christ were different in their effectiveness. Let me say that again. The condemnation of Adam versus the redemption in Christ were different in their effectiveness. The free gift is not like the trespass, Paul says. Paul is about to use a how much more argument. Many died because of Adam's trespass. That is Adam's sin. That means that God's grace is so very much more. Paul also emphasizes the the grace as a free gift. Paul will continue to build on this idea. Paul will build on our great salvation. He is building on a how much more argument. Many died because of Adam's sin. But how much more the grace abounds through Jesus, our Lord and Savior. In verse 16, Paul once again says, The gift is not like... Notice how he's contrasting the greatness of the grace of God through Jesus with the death from Adam's sin. Judgment came through sin. Judgment resulted in condemnation. But through Jesus, 
But through Jesus, through the free gift, notice it once again says free gift. Through Jesus, through the free gift, from all the transgressions, we receive justification. We are justified. We are declared righteous through Jesus. This means that we are declared righteous through him. There were all the transgressions, and that means to cross a moral or divine law. All those transgressions just piled up. They all came from Adam's first sin. But through Jesus, we are all made righteous. Verse 16 shows that the condemnation through Adam versus the redemption in Christ were different in their extent. You hear that? The condemnation through Adam versus the redemption in Christ were different in their extent. Basically, we are seeing that the Apostle Paul is contrasting the condemnation through Adam versus how great the redemption is in Christ. And he is, again, I'm emphasizing for the third time now, using a how much more argument to show how great, how awesome, how exciting, how exhilarating our salvation is. In verse 17, we see that the death, that death reigned through that first sin. Much more, the gift of righteousness will reign. Death reigned, how much more the gift of righteousness will reign. Verse 18 shows that the condemnation through Adam versus the redemption in Christ were different in their efficacy. That means Jesus' death on the cross accomplished his purpose. Jesus' death on the cross accomplished his purpose. Now, we, in verses 18 through 21, as we continue this passage, we see the contrast of, of the sin of Adam versus the obedience through Jesus. Look at this. The contrast of the sin of Adam versus the obedience through Jesus. And remember how we saw the dash? Remember the dash at the end of verse, uh, at the end of verse 12? There was a dash. And that dash continues till the end of verse, uh, of verse 17. And now Paul's going to pick up on the idea from the end of verse 12. So let's read verses 18 through 21. Therefore, as one trespass, that's Adam, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so now one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Notice that, justification. Declared righteous and life for all men. We can really live because Jesus gives us real life. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Through Adam's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, Jesus' obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. The law, that's the Mosaic law, came in to increase the trespass through culpability. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's walk through this passage for a moment. Paul continues to build up his case. Notice the how much more argument continues. He has already stated the case. He's already stated it. Now he is building up the case. One trespass, one cross of the law led to condemnation. So one act of righteousness, that is Jesus' obedience to to the cross, Jesus' obedience to be crucified for us, leads to our being declared righteous. He says, justification for all men. Now, we have to interpret that with other passages. When he says justification for all men, he means all those who trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. 
All those who trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior can inherit eternal life through Jesus, can be declared righteous. Actually, if you trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior and persevere in the faith, you will be made righteous. You will be declared righteous. You will inherit eternal life. We got to interpret this passage alongside John 3:16 and John 14:6 and Romans 3:23 and Romans 6:23 and Romans 10:9 and 10. Again, continuing on through this passage, verse 19 is restating this: the disobedience of Adam versus the obedience of Christ. Humans were made sinners through Adam's sin because he represented humanity. As stated before, we were all in his loins, but in Christ we can be made righteous. Verse 20 is interesting. Verse 20 is interesting. The law came. This is the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments. And with the law, our transgressions increased. With the law, our sins increased. What does that mean? It means that with the Ten Commandments, we now had written a culpability. We had written accountability for sin. It doesn't mean that there was no judgment before. I've already stated they were judged before, but now there was accountability for that sin. The Bible has already said a few chapters ago that the law shows us that we are sinners. There's culpability. But, verse 20 continues, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. How did grace abound? That means God's grace was credited to us. That means that God's free act of forgiveness through Jesus was given all the more. Now, I like this idea where it talks about grace abound. Because many of us have had credit cards, right? You know how bad it is as the credit card debt builds up and builds up and builds up. And as, you know, if you're 18, 19 years old, the credit card companies are going to take advantage of you, right? And how awesome it is when, if you have a loving father or mother or somebody else who takes care of that, right? That's grace. It's a, it's a free gift. And, and, and one reason I share it is because we've always been saved the same way. We've always been saved through Jesus' death on the cross. In the Old Testament, their sins were credited to the cross. In the Old Testament, they weren't saved by, the, by all the animal sacrifices. That's not how they were saved. That was a, a visual demonstration of the cost of our sin. They were saved throughout the whole Old Testament by the cross of Jesus, by believing and trusting that God was going to send a Redeemer. They were saved. Their sins were credited to the cross. Today, our sins are debited to the cross. Grace, God's grace. Now, this passage is not saying that we should go on sinning. Paul's going to answer that in the next chapter. We are going to answer that in the sermon in three weeks when we start Romans chapter 6, verse 1. We don't go on sinning. That's not how you react to Jesus' blood on the cross, Jesus' resurrection. That's not how you react to, to Jesus' atonement, his atoning free, free gift of forgiveness for our sins. Paul's going to answer that. This passage is simply exalting how awesome our salvation is. Sin hurts God. Sin breaks his heart. Verse 21 summarizes this passage and this awesome truth. Sin reigned. Sin rolled in death. Sin caused death. Grace, that is God's free gift of salvation, rolls through righteousness. That is Jesus' righteousness. And this gives us eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Isn't this awesome? Amen. Amen. How do we apply it? To me, this is a worshipful passage. We must ask ourselves, do I worship Christ for the awesome salvation which he has provided? How about you? Are we responding to God's grace, God's awesome grace, God's awesome mercy with worship?
beyond Sunday morning or Saturday night? Do we respond? Are we thankful? Does it, does it get us? Are we enraptured with the awe of God, the adoration of God, how awesome God is? I noticed an emphasis on free gift. I already pointed that out. In verses 15 through 16, uh, free gift is used four times. We would be stuck in our sin except that Christ stepped in and gave us a free gift. Does that catch us? We couldn't earn our salvation. If we could earn our salvation, Jesus would not have had to go to the cross. He went to the cross because you could not take care of your salvation. I could not take care of my salvation. We could not be good enough. We needed the grace of God. We needed the free gift. Do we try to earn our salvation? We cannot earn our salvation. And that is why Jesus gave us the free gift of his righteousness. We must serve and worship Jesus who gives us his free gift. Now here's an application. Here's something you can do. Besides worship. I already told you worship. Here's something. It came from today in the word through Moody, uh, Moody Bible Institute. It said, to give today's passage even more context, as part of your devotional life this week, reread the record of the original Adam and the fall in Genesis chapters 3 through 4. Go to your Bibles. Go to Genesis. It's the first book of the Bible. Go to chapters 3 and 4. Reread. Reread the record of the original fall. How were Adam and Eve led to disobey? Think about that. How were Adam and Eve led to disobey? What were the consequences? What were the consequences of Adam and Eve's disobedience? What evidence was there that God continued to love them? Rejoice that as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. That comes from 1 Corinthians 15 verse 22. And that is a catastrophe, isn't it? It's a good catastrophe. Not just that Jesus was resurrected, but also that he did that for us. That if you think that Jesus' death on the cross was pointless, it wasn't. We call it Good Friday because he took our sin upon himself. There's a, a song, which I think the praise team might be practicing and it's called His Mercy is More. It's by, um, I, I think Keith Getty wrote it. We, we finished our worship service last night with it. It comes through Getty Music. And I'm going to read some of these words as a close to this message. It starts, praise the Lord. I'm not going to sing it, okay, just so you know. We'll let Steve and Joyce do the singing. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. What love could remember? No wrongs we have done. Omniscient, all-knowing, he counts not their sum. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Praise the Lord, his mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. What patience would wait as we constantly roam. What father so tender is calling us home. He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Praise the Lord. His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. What riches of kindness he lavished on us. His blood was the payment. His life was the cost. We stood neath a debt we could never afford. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. 
Praise the Lord. His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Our sins, they are many. But his mercy is more. And that's what this passage is talking about. As in Adam, we all sin. In Christ, we can all be redeemed. We can all, we can all be justified, declared righteous. We can all be reconciled with God. We can all have peace with God. We can come boldly to the throne of grace and pray to God. Let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you that our sins, though they are many, your mercy, oh Lord God, your mercy is more. Oh Lord God, I'm afraid that too often this becomes old news. And it never gets us. We are not enraptured with our awesome salvation. Oh, Lord God, I pray that you would enrapture us. I pray that we would go out of this place with praise and with thanksgiving. Being amazed, enraptured by how awesome our salvation is. How awesome you are. Our God is an awesome God who reigns from heaven above. And you stepped in to our world. You became a man through Jesus. Jesus, you eternally existent, pre-existent, God incarnate Christ, part of the triunity of the Godhead. And you became a man, the incarnation, died on the cross for our sins. You didn't have to do it. You went willingly like a lamb to the slaughter, a sinless lamb to the slaughter, dying on the cross for our sins, rising again. You did that, knowing our sins, they are many, but your mercy is more. Oh, Lord God, may we go out of here worshiping you. And may we go out of here repentant. If anyone is here who has not surrendered their life to you as Lord and Savior, may today be the day of salvation. May today be the day to confess they are a sinner in need of a Savior. Believe in you as the one and only Savior. Trust in you and commit to you. And help us all committing to you, walking by the Holy Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If the Holy Spirit's been tugging at your heart of anything today, uh, talk to me. I'd love to help you. If you want to come forward for prayer, the altars are always open. You can come forward and pray at the altars. If um, you have questions about God or the spiritual life, I'm always available and love talking about them. Even if you're a non-believer and you just have questions about what is this Christianity, I'd love to talk to you. I invite the praise team for the closing song and prayer.